Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, I would invite you to turn with me in the Old Testament to the prophet Hosea. Prophet Hosea. We are going to begin a new preaching series in this wonderful prophet this evening. And we will begin in chapter 1, verse 1. prophet Hosea, and if you need help knowing where to find Hosea, it's after Daniel and before Joel. Prophet Hosea, before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's go before him together once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do come before your presence, thankful for your word thankful for the preaching of it in our ears and to our hearts this evening. Lord, we pray that your work would be done, your will would be done in us, that we would be changed by that truth, that glorious divine truth of yours that is, that is in these very verses and words that you have for us in Scripture. Help us, Lord, to see your truth, to know it, to understand it, and to live according to it, we pray. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, King of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblai, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, this evening we return back to the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And if you think back to those that we've examined thus far... We've been blessed by the truth, the lessons, and the revelation of our great God 
in and through Jonah, Amos, and Nahum. And tonight, we are going to start a new series, examining God's words and work through Hosea. And why did God call Hosea to prophesy as his mouthpiece to his people in Israel? What was going on at that time? We are going to find that there are some unique characteristics leading up to the call, as well as in what God called Hosea to do as he would minister a clear message to them. And so let me paint the backdrop for a moment here. There was a significant period of religious decline and decay in Israel, and specifically the focus here is during the years of 750 to 725 B.C., which was just a few years before the fall of Samaria in 722 B.C. And what was evident and prominent in causing this decay? Well, religious syncretism, or the attempt to blend two religious systems into one, was present and growing. And therefore, as Israel was God's covenant people, as Israel had an exclusive covenant relationship with the living God, any such attempts to blend in other religious systems was a breach of their covenant relationship and was grave sin against God. They tried to mix the pure worship of God with the idolatry of the surrounding peoples and nations. And further, along with the religious decline during the final years, Israel was also in a state of political and social decline. And this was in contrast to the prosperity that Israel experienced under the rule of Jeroboam II, which was in nine, excuse me, 793 through 753 B.C. However, scholars note that this multifaceted decline occurred over the reign of the next six kings, over the, the following 25 years. And now, it's interesting that four of these kings were assassinated by those who usurped their thrones. Beginning in 2 Kings 15, we learn that Zechariah was killed by Shalom after reigning for only six months. Shalom reigned for one month and was killed by Menahem. And Menahem ruled, and when he eventually died, his son, Pekahiah, took the throne. And Pekahiah only reigned two years and was killed by Pekah, who then took the throne. And finally, Hosea became a political prisoner, and we see that in 2 Kings 17, 3 through 4. And so you can see this deadly combination and connection of religious and political unrest in the conflict and the decline there. We don't need to be blind here. When God's people turn their back on him, things unravel on multiple levels that affect all areas of life. We can even see that to be true today. But therefore, God called Hosea to confront his people and to call them to repentance, to call them to return to their God. And this evening, we'll consider who Hosea, the son of Beeri, was in verse 1. We'll also look at Hosea's marriage to a harlot in verse 2. And finally, Hosea and Gomer's children in verses 3 through 9. 
Look with me at verse 1 as we are introduced to Hosea. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Friends, God shows us the word here. He shows us the man, and he shows us the context. He shows us the call, the man, and the context. And we see two important things here. The word of the Lord came with power to Hosea to call him into the Lord's service, as well as to give him God's words to speak. And notice that neither a man nor the people approached God. God condescended to his people to speak to them, and specifically in time of waywardness and sin. And secondly, we know his word to be perfect and true and inerrant. What Hosea said and wrote was of divine inspiration. And this is important to remember in general, as well as when we consider what God commanded Hosea to do here shortly. But this divine, powerful word is as what Paul had received in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, where Paul said, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. Again, we find this word of the Lord coming in power and truth. And what Hosea would say to Israel was the word of the Lord. Now further, God came to speak to his people through a man, a prophet, an instrument, and a messenger of salvation to them. Hosea was God's man for that time and for those people. And his name means God has saved. We see here the focus of redemption even in Hosea's name. And indeed, that was true and would be true in his mercy. And though we don't know much about Hosea other than his lineage, considering his knowledge of geography in many verses of this book that we'll consider later, he very well could have been a native of Israel. But we also know here that Hosea was the son of Beeri. And now why connect and introduce Hosea by tying him to the line of his father as he's introduced. Well, if we look at some of the other prophets, they had their surname from their place, right? Micah, the Morishite, Nahum, the Elkoshite, and others. And so we see even others from their parents as Joel, the son of Bethuel. And here, Hosea, the son of Beeri. Hosea's father's name means my well. My well. One scholar points out the reason that Hosea's father is mentioned may be to put us in mind of the fountain of life and living waters from which the prophets were drawn and even of that message that they proclaimed. But when did Hosea prophesy? Well, we are told in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, it's interesting here that four kings from Judah 
and only one king of Israel are referenced, considering Hosea's prophecy would be against Israel. You might think that that would be flip-flopped in God's word, right? That we would see more of an account and identification of those in Israel than those in Judah. But this is the Lord's word to us. Maybe Hosea believed that those who reigned between Jeroboam II and the fall of Israel weren't worthy to mention. That is quite possible. But this is who Hosea was, and God begins to speak to him. And in many ways, in this word from the Lord, there is an unexpected command and an unexpected reason for it, as we see in verse 2, and consider Hosea's marriage to a harlot. Look at verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by doing what? By departing from the Lord. Now some of you may be thinking, now, now wait, Pastor, what? God's opening words to his prophet are for him to go and to marry a harlot, to take a wife of whoredom, as some may say. Yes, you read that and heard that correctly. So was this marriage real then? Or was it allegorical story? Some people ask that question. I agree with many scholars that it appears that it was indeed a real marriage. Now, what would you say to a friend who claimed that God had told him to marry an immoral woman? You would have serious reservations, right? You'd likely tell him what Scripture says about being unequally yoked and warn him not to do it. But yet here we find God telling Hosea to do exactly that. Now, we can wonder if Hosea, being an obedient servant of God, raised any concern about this command... However, we aren't told, but what we with certainty do know is that Hosea was obedient to his Lord. He went, it says, and he married her. And yet whether this woman had already been physically impure when Hosea married her, or whether this reference to her harlotry is, was about her latent bent towards immorality that surfaced not long after the marriage, or a combination of both is a matter of great scholarly debate. There's a lot of back and forth on that and debating which one or what combination is true. But the obvious and clear question is, why did God command his prophet to marry Gomer, who was a publicly immoral woman? Hosea would preach the message of Israel's covenant unfaithfulness and spiritual adultery against God in both word and deed, we see here. This wasn't just to be the word out of Hosea's mouth, but this was also to be evident in Hosea's life and relationships. He would tell them, and his marriage would be a, a tangible example to them. Hosea represented Yahweh, the covenant Lord of Israel, and Gomer, his wife, represented wayward Israel. And observing Gomer's unfaithfulness to Hosea, Israel would be reminded of her own spiritual adultery and faithlessness to Yahweh. 
as they walked away from him. They turned their backs on him and went after other gods. But also, Hosea uh, pointed out what was true in her heart and what she was capable of. There is a spiritual parallel here as we consider how much God loves and is patient with us despite what he knows to be true about us. We need to hear that. We need to see that as a very clean, clear, and prominent theme here in this passage as well as through the book. And I'll say that again. There is a spiritual parallel here as we consider how much God loves and is patient with us despite what he knows about us. And notice that not only would Hosea's marriage to Gomer be a public spectacle and a witness to Israel, but his family, he and Gomer's children, would also bear witness against him. You know, what a picture and a theme do we wonderfully see here. The picture of the wonder and beauty and blessings of pure, godly, faithful marriage contrasted with the tragedy and the danger to the sanctity of marriage brought about in the consequences of infidelity, in the consequences of adultery. Hosea specifically and most wonderfully points us to the covenant God, to Yahweh, in a covenantal marriage relationship with his people, his bride. And this, of course, also points us to, to Christ in the New Testament, doesn't it? The glorious bridegroom and his love and relationship with his bride, the church, as Paul tells the church in Ephesus about in Ephesians 5 so beautifully and wonderfully about that mysterious yet glorious relationship between Christ and the church, that the relationship of a marriage between a husband and wife is to show forth. But also, this points us to the coming, the, the great marriage supper of the Lamb, does it not? In Revelation 19, 6 through 9. And so Hosea went and he married Gomer and had a family with her in obedience to the Lord. Look at verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So Hosea would have three children with Gomer, the firstborn being a boy. And it's important to recognize that all three of their children were given specific names that symbolize God's judgment against Israel's sin. Plus, all three of them were named by God, notice, not by Hosea or Gomer. Look at verse 4a. Call his name Jezreel. This was to be their firstborn son's name. Why Jezreel? Well, the name literally means God scatters. And if you know your Bible geography, this name is the name of the fertile valley between the mountain ranges of Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. This was the place of Gideon's victory over the Midianites in Judges 6.33. It's also the name of a town in the southern end of that valley where Jehu came to power by violence in 1 Kings 9. And that event is notable, and we should remember that even in the following statements and the reason why God gives for this boy being named Jezreel to come. 
It's also referred to as a place of judgment in 2 Kings 15.29. And so what reason did God give for his name? Look at 4b through 5. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So Jeroboam II was from the line of Jehu, which was a dynasty established in the bloodshed of Jezreel. But further, God would break the strength of Israel's military through the Assyrian army under the command of Tiglath-Pileser III. So we see here that all of these things provide a helpful painting of a picture of what would happen even in God's judgment against what had occurred and would happen regarding the bloodshed of Jezreel. But then Hosea and Gomer had a second child by the will of the Lord. They had a daughter. Look at verse 6a. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And then God said to him, call her name Lo Ruhama. Now, why Lo Ruhama? Her name literally means without compassion. Without compassion. And this would accurately communicate and depict the withdrawal of God's mercy. The living God would withdraw his mercy. And we would see the effect of that. In verse 60 and 7, he says, For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. I will utterly take them away. Now, as we consider 6b and 7, and even moving into the third child, Lo Ami, if you put yourself in the place of his people, as this is being foretold, what a dreadful and a terrible thing to hear. That the living God, Yahweh, the covenant Lord, that has this covenant bond and relationship with his people that they take benefit in and protection and blessing from, because of their sin, the words, I will no longer ring in their ears time and again. I will no longer have mercy. Mercy was once something they enjoyed, but the Lord would withdraw that. And they would utterly be taken away. Yet I will have mercy, verse 7, on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. And will not save them by bow, or by sword, or battle. By horses, or horsemen. Many times, oftentimes, we see that such salvation and deliverance comes by such means. As the Lord works as the Lord provides, as he, by his power, works in the midst of battle and gives them the victory. But Judah would not experience such deliverance by those means, the Lord says. So God would just remove, justly remove his mercy from his covenant people in Israel for their sin. However, he would miraculously deliver Jerusalem from the hand of the Assyrians. If you would, turn with me to 2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 32. 
2 Kings 19, beginning in verse 32, we see more of the account of this there. <coughs> we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. Again, miraculous protection. For I will defend this city. And why? To save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the temple of Mizrach, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So we see this great and miraculous word of uh, work of the Lord, even by the angel of the Lord, as the angel of the Lord slaughtered thousands. They woke up, and all they saw were the bodies. They were all dead. And so they left. They went. And so we see that as God's word, as his uh, word would be true, we now see this third child in verse 8 of Hosea 1. And this third child was another son, which in many ways communicated the most tragic condition of them all. If you recall, right, Jezreel, God scatters. Lo Ruhama. The Lord has no compassion. What do we see in verse 8? When she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Again, one of the most tragic statements and conditions that the covenant people of God could ever hear. God's declaration here points us to what was true when God established his covenant. In Deuteronomy 26, beginning in verse 17, if you want to look with me, there you can. <coughs> Deuteronomy 26, beginning in verse 17, there we read, This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments. And that you will obey his voice. Also today, 
The Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Now, if you notice back in Hosea 1, verse 8, Hosea isn't referenced in the conception of Loami. This may indicate that Loami may have been born through fornication. Loami marks the climax of God's judgment as the great covenant God would deal with them at Stephen's. As he, in essence, set aside the covenant and declared it to not be in effect. You are not my people, and I am not your God. And so as we begin our walk and our journey through this wonderful prophet, this is the great backdrop, even really the the, the fourth story, the beginning part of the story that lays the foundation of what is to come. And really the glorious work of the Lord in what is to come. Even in the midst of this dreadful situation, again, his people wayward in their sins, turning their back on him. And yet he pursues them. So I'll leave you with this. As we consider this great prophecy in Hosea, the undeserved love, the undeserved grace and and mercy of God and the salvation of his wayward people is a big front and center theme in this book that has in to us. God doesn't love us because we have proven ourselves worthy of such love. But rather, he loves us because he is love. And because his love comes from his character instead of the character of those he loves. God loves us in Christ. Not because of what we are, but in spite of what we are. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord for that. For if it was any other way, it would be terrible. God loves us in Christ, not because of what we are, but in spite of what we are. God the Father in great love sent Jesus, the only one worthy of his love, to be the Redeemer and the Savior of an unlovely, undeserving people. And Hosea gives us a vivid illustration of Throughout the Bible, God uses marriage as as a symbol of his relationship with his church, with the bride of Christ. And every Christian marriage should be a living proclamation of the gospel. As God begins Hosea with uh, putting such a clear and high value on the purity and sanctity of marriage, even his covenantal relationship with his people, The great contrast of the spiritual adultery that Israel committed against him by their turning their backs against him puts the severity and heinousness of their apostasy in perspective. And this puts the just nature of God's judgments represented by Hosea and Gomer's three children in perspective. May we see the climax in Lo Ami for all that it depicts. 
For the covenant God to withdraw and to set aside his covenant from his people, saying they are no longer his people, is a dreadful and terrible thing. But may the severity of this, con this consequence to sin drive us to consider the offense of sin against the holy God. And draw us to thanksgiving for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. The rescue, the redemption that we have in him. For we too were wicked and adulterous in heart. We too deserve such condemnation from the covenant God. To not be his people and he to not be our God. But yet, we are thankful for the forgiveness that we have in Christ, as well as our ongoing need to be repentant, turning from our sins unto Jesus, seeking to be faithful to Him in our covenant marriage with Him. All of this is gloriously put on display, even as we see the, the stark contrast here in Hosea and this marriage with an adulteress. Well, praise the Lord for his word. We will be encouraged and blessed by more from it, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. Let's pray together.